I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. And welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey guys, I'm Santosh here, your friendly pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. Hey, it's me, Ward, your ER MacGyver. Once again, it is time for our bi-monthly journal club. Yay! Uh, 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 uh. And as always, you guys know I love to try and build these around a theme. And this week I failed utterly. So the theme is simply... Yeah, these were kind of all over the place. We went brain, we went testicles, we went sea snail. It's, it's, it's all over the place. The sea slug. So this week felt a little bit like visiting one of my favorite museums in, in California, Ripley's Believe It or Not. Because all of these studies were basically things I found very surprising. I didn't even realize that this is something that we were studying. <laughs> With that, we'll roll right on into it, get a little bit uh, nice. cleaned up. You know what? I don't even have a good segue. It's just that's how all over the board I am. I got to cut it out. Joey reference. Uncle Joey reference. Exactly. So the first study actually takes place in a barber shop. Now, you may be wondering... What could a barbershop have to do with medicine? There was the amazing barbershop quartet led by Ted, the lawyer on Scrubs. Oh, and and I learned from a previous travel medicine podcast that old-timey surgeons used to be barbers. The old Hippocratic Oath, the original one, actually said, I shall not cut of the flesh leaving that to the sur- leaving that to the butchers and the barbers so as physicians when we took the original hippocratic oath we were never supposed to cut people i think that was supposed to be a burn <laughs> no 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 they were essential because when you needed something surgically done 
you, you know, you really needed barbers and surgeons, and uh, I wouldn't even say surgeons, right? Barbers and butchers, you would need them around. So they were part of the medical community. Are you leaving out the valuable contributions of the bakers and candlestick makers? And the owners of House of Ill Repute and other old-timey things that don't exist anymore. <laughs> I am, but screw them. Although, Dr. Josh, I have to tell you, um, a, a long while back, we talked about old-timey medical remedies. One of them was actually blowing smoke up a person's ass in order to revive them from drowning. Did you know that that actually worked? Okay, I'm going to tell you I have seen the device. It is at the Museum of Surgery here in Chicago. And I remain dubious as to whether or not it was effective. Uh, we, gentlemen, we all trained. We all trained in Chicago. Do you ever recall in our emergency medicine rotation ever using that device on anyone? Inserting a tube and using a tobacco enema actually did work from time to time, and it might have been because they the, the nicotine in the tobacco, right? It would actually jumpstart someone, like after a dry drowning, and they would cough and wake up. So they actually started using nicotine tobacco for like several things, including headaches and abdominal cramps. I don't think anybody's going to be using nicotine enemas to quit smoking anytime soon. No, no. But back then, they were just like, oh, dude, blowing smoke totally works. Let's do it all the time for everything. But to be fair, and I love the Victorian era, to be fair, they also thought like, hmm, you have ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about it. <laughs> That's true. Now that we've veered so far into barber surgeons and smoke enemas, I will tell you in the modern day, uh, it turns out that medicine is going back to the barber shop. One of the things that we do learn is in medicine, race is important. And that's because certain races respond differently to certain medications. And nowhere has this been drilled into our heads more than blood pressure medications in the African-American community. That is right. We, were, we learned from our clinical rotations that uh, first-line first line antihypertensive or you know, blood pressure medications for the general population tends to be some sort of hydrochlorothiazide, right? Or some sort of thiazide medication, except in African-American and some, some people say Asian-American communities. Right. And this isn't a, an every time thing. Like if you, if you had an African-American patient versus a Caucasian patient, you know, this was a correlation that we found to be very strong is that you had a less likelihood of your hydrochlorothiazide diuretic working with an African-American patient. So instead, we kind of learned to play a little bit of not so much favoritism as specifically choose a medication that works better in that race. Well, these physicians have taken this study almost to the next level and looked at where somebody is more likely, because you can imagine if you have a bunch of doctors telling any race specifically, well, no, we're going to use certain drugs just for you and other drugs for other people that might do a little bit of damage to the physician-patient relationship. There's going to be some degree of suspicion as, to be fair, white people have given a raw deal to a lot of folks over the years. One of the studies that we took a look at today looked into going out into the communities and helping to reestablish that trust. So I loved it in that 
Well, apparently one of the big places or one of the big community centers in a lot of African-American communities is the barbershop. My only knowledge of this comes from the fact that there were three barbershop movies that had Ice Cube and I think Nicki Minaj. Cedric the Entertainer as well. Apparently... This is a fairly important gathering place, just as much as church. So this study looked into, you know, trim your hair, your beard, and your blood pressure, and found that African-American men reduced one of their biggest risks, which is the risk of hypertension and heart disease, through the power of familiar faces and places to improve health. And it started with just open communication with the barber. They would test patrons for high blood pressure and then refer them to doctors. So they were not replacing the doctor, but you know, you come in and you get your hair trimmed, your beard cut, and they check your blood pressure while you're sitting in the chair and getting a shave. And if they see one of these warning numbers, because in a doctor's setting, in a doctor's office setting, we want to follow your blood pressure for at least two weeks to a month with consecutive readings before we officially diagnose you with high blood pressure. So the barbers who are seeing these patients every week or two would start performing those studies and then referring patients to doctors. That's a great idea because you know what? In the doctor's office, it's kind of a scary environment. There are needles, there's smell of alcohol and God knows what else. And there's a well-known phenomenon called the white coat syndrome, right? Where you go in, you're nervous, and your blood pressure shoots up. I love the idea that you're somewhere, you know, kind of fun and kind of relaxing like a barbershop. Although mine's not that exciting. I might I go to Supercuts. But like, assuming, assuming, you know, like it's a fun environment, that blood pressure is actually a more accurate depiction of what your actual blood pressure is. Yeah, it has like a social club feel to it, a, a friendly environment. Dr. Victor, a cardiologist at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, is the one who initiated this study, and his pilot study looked at 17 different barber shops in the Dallas area, and that was having barbers, you know, just testing patient, patients, patrons, I guess what that's what you call them, hair cutters, whatever. Clients, sure. And there you go. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for, clients, and referred them to doctors, and improvements in blood pressure were modest, about five points over time, just from catching it in general. So in the new study, Dr. Victor added a pharmacist into the mix so medicines could be prescribed on the spot. And this new study involved a total of 303 men and 52 barbershops. That's pretty good. Yeah. So one group of customers just got pamphlets and blood pressure tips while they were getting a haircut. Another group met with pharmacists in the barbershop after their haircut and could get treatment if their blood pressure was high. Now, I don't recall pharmacists being able to prescribe medications. Maybe I'm wrong here. Yeah, I was. No, you're not wrong. I was. There, there must be more to it than just that. I mean, maybe it was. It still refers out to a doctor, and then the pharmacist can dispense the medication. Based on recommendations, I'm not entirely sure. I'd, I'd need to take a much closer look at this study. Right. You would have to have some sort of consultation with the medical professional, at the very least, to make sure like allergies were ruled out, you know, so that we didn't hurt the patient with the medication. Or maybe the pharmacist could contact a doctor in some way right there and then and then prescribe them the medication and give it to them on the spot. To, to remove all the barriers of getting that medication. So at the start of the study, the average or the highest blood pressure for most of these men was around 154 systolic. That's the top of the two numbers. After six months, it fell by nine points 
for people who are just given advice. That just means, you know, like eat better, exercise more. And when you're being told by your barber rather than your doctor, still caused a nine point drop in blood pressure. Wow. Okay. That's not bad at all. For people who saw the pharmacist, the average drop was 27 points in blood pressure. Yeah. So that brought them down to an average of a 130 systolic, which is really the target that we want most people to be kind of sitting at. Right. So the, you you basically had a good percentage of these patients normalize their blood pressure. Again, because heart disease is one of the biggest killers of, well, everybody, but certainly men, regardless of race or age. So the idea that just being told what to do by somebody other than a doctor who you might listen to, not that I'm bitter about that or anything, will actually lower the blood pressure is impressive. Well, if you only cut hair in your office, Josh. That's, you know what? That's what the problem is. I'm not cutting enough hair as I treat people. Yeah, <laughs> you got to get with the times, man. Multi-talent. So this was funded by the National Institute of Health and was recently presented at a cardiology conference in Orlando and published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So the overall cost of doing this isn't really known at this point. Is this worth the expenditure or are you just achieving very small results? So now the next study that Dr. Victor is aiming to do is going to look at 3,000 men in cities around the country. And then he also hopes to start tackling things like high cholesterol and diabetes next. But, but what happens to bald men? Are they just screwed? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. See, that's the thing because so the barbershop, at least for, you know, we're talking about urban African-American community, right? It's a hangout spot. So it doesn't matter if you have any hair or not. You know, you go in for a trim. A few of these guys, they're barber trained, meaning they can do shaves too. It's a place to like hang out and you can go and check blood pressure because you know, you're not going to cut your hair, but let's, let's try this over here. Yeah, so fantastic study. And, you know, I, that was one of the ones I looked at. I was like, huh, believe it or not. And it felt like that's the one that I tried to build this journal club around and then it just fell apart entirely. But we do have a lot of really good studies for you guys. So uh, I don't want to drag on and move like a snail and getting to the next one. Snail, you say? Oh, nice. A, a snail. So, of course, the next big problem in America right now is the opioid crisis. And that's because opioids are addictive. And truthfully, there's even been a few studies that have come out that said they really don't help all that much in terms of pain control. You get a quick, immediate, instant gratification, but over long-term pain, it's really no better than Tylenol or ibuprofen, uh, and in fact is worse in that it has the addictive potential. But everybody's always looking for the next big way to treat pain, and you know, now that we're in the midst of an opioid crisis, how do you do that? Yeah, this is a really, really huge question, and you know, even dealing with infection, not even dealing with adults. Um, you know, I, I still run into this problem on a regular basis. Anything that we can find that can blunt pain or help with pain over the long haul and not be addictive, all of these studies are terribly welcome right now. Yeah, and I think it's not we don't have a we don't have just a pain problem. This is a this is also an addiction problem. This is also a mental health problem. This is also a cultural shift problem. It, not all pain can be solved by a pill, period. I think that should be the expectation. But except here, there might be an exception, according to this study. 
And I think that the problem is when it comes to pain control, you dream about golden up there, but that is a big mistake. And if you just if you just look at the world around you right here on the ocean floor, <laughs> such wonderful things surround you. <laughs> what more are you looking for under that sea? Oh, I definitely want to be part of that world. Very nice. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to publish. Uh, we're going to get sued out of our pants by Disney. <laughs> so a compound found in the venom of sea snails, which I wasn't even aware were venomous, has been discovered to block pain and does it by targeting a completely different pathway than that used by opioids. That's beautiful. Okay. So now we've actually been trying, you know, a number of snake venoms and I know frog venoms as well as a substitute for opiates because I mean, that's what these medications are kind of, I shouldn't say medications, these naturally occurring substances are actually meant to do in nature is to anesthetize. So yeah, why don't we just yeah, they're all neurotoxins. They act on your peripheral and central nervous system. But we haven't known a lot about snails because largely you hear people say, like, watch out for that snake. You don't hear people go, oh, no, that snail, it's coming right for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's that scene from Austin Powers with the very, very slow you know, cement layers. It's coming right for us. So the pain-killing compound is called RGIA, or Regia. My name, because scientist names are terrible. <laughs> Regia is a peptide that naturally occurs in the venom of Conus regius, a small sea snail species with a cone-shaped shell common in the Caribbean Sea. How do you like that alliteration? <laughs> I like that, although I think it's Caribbean. Previous research looking into the effects of Regia had looked at its potential for pain relief in rats, but it wasn't understood how it acted. So a Baldomero Oliveira from University of Utah began using synthetic chemistry to create analogs of this compound and tweaked each one just a little bit until he figured out that it, you, it worked on the acetylcholine nicotinic pathway and blocked one of those receptors. And it binds tightly with the human version of this pain receptor. And after they dosed a whole bunch of rats with the drug, actually, they dosed them with a chemo drug that causes extreme neuropathy or makes it very easy to have pain. And then they gave half the rats Regia and the other half, they said, screw it. We just want to see what happens. And Interactions that normally aren't painful, like sheets rubbing against a body, would become painful unless they had this sea snail venom, and then they didn't feel any pain. And it sounds like the rats all lived, right? Yes, and the rats all lived until they were presumably cut apart because science. No, <laughs> I don't know that there were any dissection studies after having seen the PNAS paper. It's it's really beautiful. You know, just a, a dose of this could stop that like chemotherapy-induced neuropathic pain because this is something that's that's a real problem already. You know, if, if a human being is receiving certain types of chemo for, for cancer, 
they can actually have this type of pain where every little interaction, even with bed sheets or clothing, can feel like burning or, or fire. You know, so this is immediately applicable if we can translate this from uh, rats to humans, which is a big if. Very true. And this focuses, again, on pain blocking rather than a narcotic rush to make you forget about the pain. So if it ends up being translated into real-world medicine, we could have an effective painkiller that is non-addictive, and that would be amazing. Yay! Um, it also gave me a chance to you know, use my Sebastian voice because he comes from the Caribbean, Mr. Jack Sparrow. <laughs> All right, fine. Dep away. What was the next story? I was going to tell you, but I forgot. It slipped my mind. Oh, Josh. You're going senile, buddy. Something with blood. I just, I can't place it. My mind is gone these days. And, oh, that's right. It's, there's now an Alzheimer's blood test. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, this came out in Nature, and I believe it was a, uh, a human trial. Yeah, the magazine Nature, not just some random tree. Right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. You said it came out in nature, and, you know, uh, I didn't want people to be confused. I don't know which one's more prestigious. <laughs> so Alzheimer's disease is known to start years and years before people have any symptoms of confusion or memory loss, much as we have just demonstrated in the last 30 seconds. The key to kind of treating this dementia is really... To get in there early before you start getting this permanent loss of brain cells or buildup of tau and amyloid beta proteins. And it's really that tau and beta protein gunk that is the hallmark of Alzheimer's. And it builds up in the brain and can be detected with brain scans, but they tend to be fairly expensive to do and impractical because there's no real treatment for Alzheimer's. Uh, we think we have a few medications that may help to slow it. And of course, there's things like crosswords and depending on what studies you read, cigarettes that may slow it down as well. But there really isn't any kind of cure and there's not even really a good treatment. So the best we can do right now is diagnosis. And this is a huge step in allowing us to study it. If we can catch Alzheimer's early enough, you may be able to study and use that information to work toward a better treatment. So this is a collaboration among universities in Japan and Australia looking for fragments of this amyloid protein that have managed to end up in the bloodstream rather than just building up in the brain. Well, I, I would say that this is, this is really useful because not all dementia is Alzheimer's, right? So if you, have a, if you have a person who seems to be losing his or her cognitive functions, I would love to have a test that could tell me, hey, you know what? Maybe there's these beta amyloid pro proteins floating around, and that's the cause. Or if it's not, maybe I should look for something else. Hey, is this hypothyroidism? Oh, hey, is this vitamin B12 deficiency? Or is this neurosyphilis? You know, it, it would be really helpful for your doc to find, if nothing else, find other preventable, treatable ways or treatable causes of, uh, of dementia. Sure. So when it comes to clinical studies, this could be great. It helps to rule things in or out. However, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, critics of the study are still saying, like, great, okay, you've discovered Alzheimer's, but now you've just kind of added more stress onto people because you can see that this is going to build up and there is still no real treatment for it. So you could make either argument in that this is a great study to have in terms of ruling other things out. But once it's a positive test, what do you do with that information? Well, right now, what are our options? It's just Nemenda or, you know, some of these symptom- symptomatic treatments, right? The earlier that you catch Alzheimer's, you do have the chance that you're giving to the patient, especially if maybe you're saying, oh, dementia hasn't started yet, but you have a high probability of this turning into Alzheimer's. You know, you do have the chance for the patient to put their affairs in order and talk to relatives and, you know, live out the rest of their life um, while they have all their faculties intact to, you know, the best. Start doing crosswords. Yeah, of course. Exactly. They, you know, do all the things they've always wanted to do, check stuff off their bucket list, you know, because, you know, when, when we have inevitable death coming in. If you have someone who is perfectly cognitively okay, but they're going to die of a cancer, then, I mean, it's helpful for them too. You know, they get their affairs in order. This one is, it's a different sort of death because you kind of start to lose yourself, you know, your, your mind rather than your body. The earlier the warning, the quicker that they can set everything state and maybe have the best years of their life before they're unable to. Well, as a palliative care physician, I'm certainly in favor of having more time to deal with chronic diseases. But I think I'm still going to withhold judgment on the utility of this test until I see where they go with it. Santos, you're being you're a very glasses half full person today. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's really sweet. Um, I want to share a couple of details about this study, which does makes it not the the sort of amazing breakthrough that would appear in like New England Journal, but rather it is a, a great finding in nature, meaning that it's a great basic sciences paper. And the reason for this is the test was done not using ELISA or something that can be validated or done, you know, in a conventional laboratory, but they tried to detect the amyloid beta protein. That's the that's the protein that's implicated as the misfolded protein which causes Alzheimer's. It's, we don't know for sure, but it's one of the major players. This thing was actually detected by um, immunoprecipitation mass spectrometry. One of these little guys is not usually found in a clinical lab at all. It's, this was compared against the detection of Alzheimer's using a PET scan. 
a brain PET scan. So neither of these are modalities which are currently used by doctors to diagnose Alzheimer's. So it was kind of, we wouldn't be able to like bring this to the masses cheaply and easily. Thanks, glass half full guy. So we have a test, but we can't actually do it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was an amazing finding, and it was it was a really cool discovery, but it's a long way before this can be brought to, like, just clinical labs everywhere. Well, don't forget about this one, because it definitely is likely to come up again. So that's kind of some of our more serious studies. Now let's move on to the fun <laughs> okay. Although I don't know how much fun this is, this next one's going to be for people. Well, everybody loves hearing about a little blue pill. Oh, for the love of God. This is the, well, it's not the opposite. I guess you could use the blue pill with this other, with this other pill. I don't even know if this thing is blue. Is it blue? It's the other blue, it's the other blue pill. And like pork, the other white meat. Tell us about this pill, Josh. <laughs> No, this is the other, other white meat. The other, other, other white meat. <laughs> I mean, it's not always white meat. I'm going to shut up and let you talk. Sorry. Scientists are one step closer to achieving gender parity, at least when it comes to birth control. This past weekend was the Endo 2018 or the Endocrine Society's 100th annual meeting in Chicago. And one of the things they were discussing at this society is the release of the male birth control pill. Oh, yeah. That's uh, like hormonal birth control, but for dudes. Right. Uh, which is nice because, one, I guess it's only fair that women have had to take a pill for so long. Men now get a chance too, And two, no vasectomy involved. So, hey, there's that. No snippy snippy? This podcast is brought to you by vasectomy. 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 No longer the only solution. Oh, and by the way, ladies and germs out there, uh, I have undergone the snippy snippy I'd like to announce to the world via this podcast. And let me tell you, it's really no big deal, and I'm so happy. Well, if this is true, if this male birth control pill, the dimethethadrolone, oh, we are really terrible at naming things, DMAO, I'm going to call it DMAO. D-N-A-U. <laughs> Dimethandrolone undecanoid. There we are. D-M-A-U. Also known by its developmental code name, CDB4521. DMAL it is. We are terrible. DMAL. If, if DMAL really does work, it does mean that snip, 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 snip is, not the, is, is not the only option. So the short version of this is 83 men aged 18 to 50 underwent this study taking this pill daily for a month, and they tested the effects of different doses, 100, 200, and 400 milligrams, along with a placebo to have a control group for 28 days with food. At 100 milligrams, it was comparable to effective male contraception, meaning condoms and vasectomies, in long-term trials. At 400 milligrams, it produced marked suppression of testosterone levels, as well as two other hormones necessary for sperm production. Now, is that a side effect or is that an intended effect, the marked testosterone level drop? No, that's exactly how this works, actually. So the, the whole purpose of this hormonal birth control, it's an experimental androgen or anabolic steroid. This is a steroid combined with uh, progestogen, not progesterone, but progestogen. When it is circulating in the bloodstream, 
endogenous testo- testicular testosterone production goes down. Okay, good night. I just had a terrible and I just had a terrible and dark thought. I was like, what if you tried around and said, I wish Dima was around when you were conceived. I'm super happy with my two kids, but I was just like, fuck number three, and I went hounds on my on my vast deference. I actually I told my doc when I did a urologist. I he like he was prepping me. And I laid back and he made his first incision. I was like, oh, Christopher? And he goes, yes, Atosh. I go, snip it. Snip it hard. Before a child comes along, you must snip it. Now snip it. Yeah. Yes. Snip it good. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Yes. Snip it good. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. So what... What this oral medication does is it actually suppresses the amount of testosterone that's made by your testicles when you take this medication. And so if you have about um, 13.4 to 15 nanograms per deciliter circulating around in your blood, you are effectively castrated. And then when you discontinue it, um, testosterone levels become to recover. Spermatogenesis kind of restarts. So you have reversible oral contraception. It's oh wait a minute. So this is reversible oral uh, chemical castration. Well, it has to be right because there's there's no other way to do it for guys. You have to stop sperm from being made. <laughs> well, before we, I mean, castration is a pretty loaded term, and I think carries a lot of stigma. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put a quick stop on that and. And go into the positive things about this, and then we'll circle back around. That's true. I was using a highly technical term. I apologize. It does decrease levels of testosterone, but past safety tests, including those that would be suggestive of liver and kidney health, and that's been a hurdle previous attempts at male contraceptives have failed to meet. So despite having low levels of circulating testosterone, very few subjects reported any kind of symptoms that you would expect to see with a testosterone deficiency or excess. So you are not you are not getting sort of the things that you hear with the low T complaints. You are, but I'm going to go ahead and just say this right now, which is not a thing. It's not. But again, as long as we're going, you know, off the deep end and calling it castration, I want to say that you know it's not actually it's decreasing levels of circulating testosterone and sperm production. But you still have your you know existing male testosterone. You're still going to grow facial hair. You're not going to develop breasts. And previous studies on male birth control have been cut short, not because they were ineffective, but because they produce side effects such as depression, changes in libido and acne, you know, things which all happen with female birth control currently. But when it happens to men, (laughs) while this does drop your levels of sperm production, it does not make you any less of a man. And in that sense, I think we're going to have to come up with a different term for castration, because that's really been tied to a very specific set of results. And it's kind of a, and it has been, it has been used as a punishment for certain crimes. Although I feel like it is a spectrum, right? If you, if you stop producing sperm and stop uh, the production of testosterone and its effects of testosterone, it is 
on the extreme end, it's like the extreme end. That's true. And uh, you're right. It, uh, in the kind of the ether, like in the media, it's a terribly loaded term. But in here, it is a technical term, meaning a reduction in testosterone levels such that there's inability to produce sperm. So it's, it is a very narrow technical definition. And for those of you interested in why castration has that meaning, because it's been around for years and years, and, you know, choir boys in ancient Italy were known as castrados. It basically comes from the Latin castrum, which is a knife, a specific knife, the castrum that was used in order to remove the testicles of these young eunuchs. Like, that knife image just really stuck. So after all this talk of snip, snip, and castration, would you boys take this pill? <laughs> I mean, it's not going to change your risks of getting sexually transmitted diseases. So condoms are still going to be necessary. Oh, no, the, I, I have a feeling this is, for, this is for partners who are in a long-term, stable, monogamous relationship who both agree that you're both going to be in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. That, that's who this pill is for. I, I agree completely. And in that sense, sure, I think this could be a fantastic alternative, especially since it is reversible. Um, and it certainly beats out some of my earlier patients in clinic when I was in residency, who I remember uh, there was one young lady who her birth control pills were making her sick. So she made her husband start taking them instead. And then they had a kid. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, you were looking at a side effect profile that is a lot like what you see with women's hormonal contraception. So, you know, that that's not too bad in the overall scheme of things. So this is really wonderful that you can take technology that's been used now for you know, decades um, for for women um, to to have contraception and then get it to guys. It's conceivable, actually, here, Josh, that, you know, since we're doing hormonal contraception... Ah, conceivable? I think it's inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying that word. I don't think you... But, it, but I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Uh, no, I, it is conceivable that just as uh, hormonal contraception for women can also be used for things like PCOS or acne control, we may find other like really remarkable uses for hormonal contraception for guys. So I, I think this is really wonderful. The side effect profile looks safe so far. The trials have been going really well. Um, so, you know, moving forward on this is absolutely great. And that brings us to our final study of the night. And this one already made the rounds on Facebook and was labeled fake news and then real news and then fake real news and then real fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like Given all of that, we really needed to cover it for our listening audience, and also because space. I'll give you first the headline, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it actually means. And astronaut Scott Kelly's DNA changed 7% in space, creating space genes. Wait, I, I've read this comic before. Um, one of them got super stretchy, and the other turned into like a thing made of orange rock. Cosmic waves and whatnot. If 7% of the genes changed, you still wouldn't be the thing, all right? You wouldn't turn from, like, Richards into the... You would turn from, like, a human into, like, a banana. 
<laughs> That's actually pretty decent. Yeah, we share yeah, 93% with the banana. Why not? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's that's not close to true. Please don't jump all over me. That's not true. We share we share roughly fifty percent of our DNA with bananas. Uh, ninety ninety percent is closer to the primate family, like chimp range. Uh, ninety. Some of my co- some of my coworkers share the same IQ as a banana. I will say that. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. You guys are the best, and definitely not bananas. I did not slip up. Okay, so what happened to Scott Kelly was when he was in space compared to Mark's Mark Kelly? Okay, so for those of you who are unfamiliar with who Scott Kelly is, there are two twin brothers. Both astronauts, Mark Kelly and Scott Kelly. And Scott Kelly went up and spent a year in space while Mark Kelly was the control brother and stayed down at ground control. And they looked at the comparison and changes in their bodies over time. Now, if you'd like to learn more about these kinds of studies, I strongly recommend you check out our sister show, Space 3D, which airs every other week right here on this current channel. Hosted by our good friend, Eleanor O'Rangers, with a couple of her astronomical colleagues. Hi, Eleanor. You guys are awesome. What actually happened is after a year of being in space, 7% of the way Kelly's DNA is expressed changed. So really, 7% of his RNA changed, not his DNA. Right. So this is, this is gene expression. Okay, guys. Quick tutorial. First, you have genes which are on DNA, right? So the DNA has to be translated, or I should say transcribed, into RNA, and then the RNA is translated into protein. Step one, change it to, you know, express the gene as RNA. Step two, change that RNA to protein so that you can make like working parts. So what was going on here was that there were different levels of RNA for some genes which were kind of turned up or turned down. And if you look at the entire uh, gene expression of, of all, you know, crazy number of genes in the, in the human chromosomes, um, only about 7% of the genes changed how they were expressed, meaning they were more expressed or less expressed compared to his twin brother. So the example used is, imagine if your DNA is the book of you. It's a giant encyclopedia, but some sentences are redacted and covered with black tape, making them unreadable. The trip to space just switched some of the tape around. All the same words are there, but now different ones are covered up. Exactly. And so some genes were turned up a little bit, and you got more expression of RNA and protein, and some were turned down a little bit. I mean, even Scott Kelly made fun of it. He's like, hey, I guess I don't have a twin brother anymore. And that has to do with how his, how much of his blood produces oxygen, at what levels, the ability to repair DNA, bone formation networks, a lot of things that we've covered in episodes talking with Eleanor. Uh, so go back and you can listen to any of our space medicine episodes and kind of learn what some of the space genes do. And this will be an important study as we move forward and plan our Space Force, uh, the next branch of, of the military. Yeah, it's interesting how this turned into news, because that's, this isn't really news. We knew about that before, right? Because we knew like we have heat shock proteins and other proteins that get turned on under different stresses. But I guess, I guess space is a stress that we didn't think about before. Yeah, but the problem was 
they didn't read it as in like the the science journalism and science media at large didn't read this as there's some changes in gene level expression they just read that as genetic changes so that's it for this week's group of stories and of course we never leave you a journal club without a just the tip and in true fashion because i am still all over the map this week I'm going to take you guys to Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has an underground. And I don't mean like a hip, you know, jazz club or rave or drug market or something like that. I mean a literal underground. Josh, never for a second did I think Oklahoma City had a rave underground. You haven't been there yet, maybe. The underground in Oklahoma City is known as the Concourse in honor of Jack Kahn. So it's spelled all funny, not like just a regular concourse, which is a walkway. And it is a series of tunnels that stretches for almost two miles underground and has stores, shops, even a post office. The tunnels are all color-coded in a variety of bright colors, uh, all neon, pink, lime, purple, green, red, and each color represents a wing which corresponds to a gallery. So there's art galleries, there's several glass skyways between buildings that don't have underground connections. And a lot of these entrances are hidden secretly in the basements and parking garages of big buildings. The Sheridan Hotel's basement is the main one, and that's the one I found when I was out on some contract work. But there's also in the bank first building has access to another number of tunnels. And then you can just wander around and see art all day and never actually go above ground in Oklahoma. So they're free to view. It's They're open from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. And if you happen to be in Oklahoma City, it's kind of a neat thing to check out. And it only takes maybe an hour to cover the entire mile, mile and a half worth of tunnels. Uh, and there's a lot of neat art in there. So it's a nice little day at the museum underground. That wraps it up for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with all the sources for stories we came across this week. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from all our co-hosts. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Happy travels. Yay. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.